We are in uh, a series from the book of Acts. I'm calling it First Steps. And uh, we're talking about the, the first steps of the church uh, as it began on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and began to grow to be what it is today. Uh, but, you know, before it got to where it is today, it was that infant church that was just beginning. And so we're taking a look at some of the firsts that happened. Uh, along the way in those early days. And today, the first martyr, the first martyr. Most of us are probably familiar with the word martyr or, and what martyr is. According to the dictionary, a martyr is a person who voluntarily suffers death as the penalty of witnessing to and refusing to renounce a religion. A person who sacrifices something of great value and especially life itself for the sake of principle. Um, when you think of those definitions and, 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 uh, and history, can you think of any famous Christian martyrs? <clears throat> there was a, there's been a number of them through the years. People who have been executed for following Jesus. Um, you know, that's been going on since the very beginning. We're talking about the first one today. Uh, and it continues even today. Uh, we think of the Apostle Peter and the Apostle... Um, Andrew, two brothers, they were both murdered by the Romans. Um, Peter was killed during the, the persecution of Emperor Nero during, uh, the, in the first century, the year 64 to 67, somewhere in there. And you, you probably heard, tradition says that Peter requested that he be crucified upside down so that uh, he would not be compared to the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, in fact, with the exception of John, the Apostle John, all of the original apostles, uh, including, we assume, Matthias, the, the one that replaced Judas, uh, all of the original uh, apostles were murdered because of their faith. Uh, they were martyred, murdered, same thing. Um, uh, John was exiled on an island for, uh, in the last years of his life, life losing his freedom and to preach and to travel, uh, but all the others were, were executed because they were Christians. Um, prominent early church leaders through history, like Polycarp, you might have heard of, of that name before. Uh, Polycarp possibly was a disciple of John and one who helped, uh, many think, uh, compile the New Testament during the second century. Uh, was, Polycarp was murdered because of his refusal to burn incense to the Roman emperor, uh, and he was sentenced to burn at the stake. William Tyndall, you might have heard of, of him before, best known for his translation of the Bible into English. Uh, because of his desire to reform the church and his opposition to King Henry VIII's divorce, uh, was choked to death. And then after he died, they burned his body. Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer from the World War II era. He was a German minister who opposed Adolf Hitler and the cruelty and oppression of the Nazis uh, towards Jews and others. Um, Bonhoeffer was executed on April the 9th, 1945. Uh, while other pastors and other Christians uh, in Germany stood by idly and did nothing uh, to oppose the Nazis, uh, and their atrocities against mankind, bon Bonhoeffer refused to remain silent. 
and he was executed two weeks before U.S. soldiers liberated the concentration camp where he was held. Two weeks. And who can forget the 21 Christians that were beheaded by ISIS terrorists uh, on a beach in Libya back in 2015? It's hard to believe it's been that long ago. It seems like it was just a couple years ago. Um, And some of you might have seen the video, that disturbing video that they posted for the world to see. Uh, What a horrible thing that was. And then just recently, on June the 5th, three weeks ago, uh, Muslim extremists attacked a church in Nigeria uh, on, uh, during their Sunday worship, killing uh, 50 people, including several children, uh, because they were Christians, because they were worshiping Jesus. Um, throughout the centuries, men and women who proclaimed Jesus to be their Lord and Savior and who had, who had committed their lives to follow Jesus have been executed by evil men and evil nations. Uh, and many of them were given, given the chance, and we've always read that uh, the Romans would do this, they were given the chance to denounce Jesus and live. Uh, I've heard the stories where they would draw a cross on the ground and say, step on that cross and you can live. Uh, and, and many refused to denounce Jesus, literally giving their lives for Jesus. Now, while Peter and the other apostles of Jesus were eventually executed for their faith um, in Jesus, uh, they were not the first to die for Jesus. Uh, Now, the first person to be punished by death because he was a follower of Jesus, the first martyr was Stephen. Stephen. Now, we met Stephen last week uh, when we talked about the first delegation. Uh, Stephen was among the seven men that were chosen uh, among the Christians to take on the responsibility, to take some of the responsibility of ministry off of the shoulders of the apostles uh, so that they could spend more time preaching and teaching. At first, the apostles were trying to do everything in this new infant church. Uh, They were sharing the gospel and teaching. Uh, They were running the play, uh, making disciples, baptizing and teaching. Um, But they were also doing other things. They were trying to take care of uh, other ministries like benevolent needs and administrative needs. Um, And and these were were, were very abundant needs that existed, as you can imagine, uh, among 5,000 people uh, where the church had grown from zero to 5,000 overnight and a lot of needs among 5,000 people. So seven men were chosen from among the Christians to help, to help take care, in this case, uh, to take care of the needs of the widows that were among them. Um, and Stephen was one of those men. So his first ministry job was to help take care of the needs of widows. But quickly we see that Stephen, uh, one of the seven, who was found to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, uh, the Scripture says, began to pursue other ministries, uh, like sharing the gospel. Uh, Something that every follower of Jesus should do. We should all be uh, evangelistic and and willing to to share our faith with others. But some Christians uh, are given a special ability by God to share the gospel. We, We might call it the spiritual gift of prophecy, not of telling the future, but of just proclaiming. Uh, or the spiritual gift of evangelism. And here it seems that Stephen soon realized that he had this gift, and he began to use this gift with great enthusiasm and purpose. 
Let's read about it in Acts chapter 6, verse 8 through 10. I'm sorry, I should have told you we were in Acts 6 before I started. Acts 6, verse 8 through 10. Uh, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, um, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. (laughs) Stephen, described earlier in chapter 6, verse 3, as being filled with the with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and wisdom is described here as also being filled with God's grace and God's power. You know, all Christians have God's grace, right? That's, that's what saves us. Um, and all Christians, once they receive the forgiveness of their sins, uh, re- also receive the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. But Stephen, it seems, had an extra measure of power that he used as he began to preach about Jesus. Not only did he have the, the gift of prophecy, uh, but he also had, had been given the gift of being able to perform miracles, like healing, uh, similar to uh, gifts that the, the apostles had. The new church is still um, challenged at this time with the task of convincing people, hey, we're speaking the truth. We, we're telling you about this Jesus, and we're speaking truth to you. But the, but the truth is, anybody can say anything and claim to be anybody, right? You know, I could claim to be Jesus if I wanted to, and many people have through the centuries. Um, but if you can say, hey, I speak the truth, and then you can heal a man who's blind or lame, uh, even raise somebody from the dead, I mean... That gets people's attention. That's more than just some crazy guy claiming he's somebody. So early on, while the apostles were still living, um, they would often give special miraculous abilities to people uh, who would share in their task of spreading the gospel. Uh, Now, you know, the apostles were just 12 guys, and they couldn't be everywhere all at once, right? Uh, So eventually the apostles needed to train people and uh, to send them out to share the gospel just like they were doing. And they would often equip them with the same abilities that they had uh, uh, to, to perform miraculous signs so they could show authority that they were speaking truth. Now, everyone was not given these abilities. You know, not every Christian was given these miraculous abilities. It seems that only a select few were given the gift of miracles in those early years of the church. Uh, Likely, uh, by the apostles, by the laying on of the apostles' hands, it came directly from God allowed the apostles to pass on these miraculous gifts uh, to people that they would choose to pass it on to. We have some indication of that in Acts chapter 8, verse 17. Miraculous gifts like healing, speaking languages that you've never studied before miraculously, uh, receiving special revelations from God, um, slowly disappear from among the church after the death of the apostles and uh, after those that the apostles passed this ability on, after they passed away, um, these miraculous gifts like this seem, seem to fade away and 
disappear. But here are some bigwig Jewish leaders got word of this new Christian, Christian movement and the preaching of this man, Stephen. They confronted him, and they realized uh, very quickly, as smart as they thought they were uh, uh, on religious matters and their knowledge of the Bible, they very quickly realized that they were unable to compete with this Stephen because Stephen was given knowledge and wisdom from the Holy Spirit something that they didn't have. The opposition to Christianity by the Jewish leaders um, that began, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about with Peter and John in chapter 3 and 4, continues here with Stephen. Um, remember they warned Peter and John, you guys stop preaching now, we mean it. Uh, and then they let them go. They let them go. That was the first opposition you might recall. But of course, uh, Peter and John did not stop preaching, uh, and neither did other Christians stop preaching the gospel. Um, uh, the good talking to that they got from these Jewish leaders didn't work. It didn't work. And so we see in chapter 5, verse 17 through 42, that when they saw that the good talking to didn't work, uh, they arrested all the apostles uh, 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 and they imprisoned them for a short time. They gave them a good talking to also, but this time they flogged them. They beat them with whips. Now, the talking and the flogging didn't stop them either. The apostles kept preaching and were training others to preach as well, like Stephen. So now what for the opposition? Now what? What, what will the opposition do now? to stop the spread of the gospel. Well, let's see. Let's look at verse 11 through 14. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, the temple. And against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs handed down of Moses, handed down to us. Now, the, the opposition has escalated from a good talking to, to flogging, to now false testimony. Stephen is falsely being accused of degrading Moses, their hero. Uh, degrading the temple there in Jerusalem, degrading the law, the, the Old Testament. And of course, this is not true uh, at all, uh, but power-hungry, ego-driven, self-centered people rarely let the facts get in the way. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like whatever it takes to get these people to stop preaching about Jesus, that's what we're willing to do. Um, to stop stealing our members, to stop reducing our power and our influence among the people. Whatever it takes, that's what we're willing to do. You know, we've probably all heard the term, the end justifies the means. Hear that with things like communism and, and other forms of government like that, philosophies. And here we see, even, when, even in matters of God and religion and, and uh and the Bible, for some people, it's, 
um, we are willing to cheat, to lie, to, to harm, to humiliate, to destroy. We're even willing to kill as long as our power and our influence is preserved. It really doesn't matter how we do it as long as we get that done. And these were the religious leaders of the Jews of that time. So they make up these false accusations against Stephen, and then they wait for him to cower and to shrink and to, to go back into the darkness and, and to abandon this crazy new movement that he was preaching. They lay it all out for Stephen, and then they looked at Stephen, and what do they see? What do they see? Let's look at verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. <laughs> you know, now, that's not what they were expecting. That's not what they were expecting. They didn't see fear. They didn't see defeat in his face. They saw a face that looked like an angel. Now, what does the face of an angel look like? Well, I would argue that it kind of looks like the face of my granddaughters, <laughs> uh, in, in a sense. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was even... More beautiful than that. Uh, I don't know what the face of an angel looks like, but, but it must have been something that really grabbed their attention. Maybe it was peaceful, uh, glowing, courageous, peaceful and courageous at the same time. Uh, a face that, that's, that's not worried about the threats that were coming its way, where they were expecting to see fear in Stephen. They saw peace and courage. The high priest asked Stephen if these charges were true. And of course, uh, the high priest knew that those charges weren't true, but he just wanted to see what Stephen's reaction was. And how did Stephen react to these charges? He didn't cower. He didn't shrink. He didn't even say, hey, you guys are lying. These charges are not true. No, he, he didn't even give them the satisfaction of even acknowledging the charges. What did Stephen do? He preached a sermon. <laughs> he preached a sermon. For the next 53 verses, Stephen taught these learned Jewish scholars and leaders a lesson in Jewish history, Jewish biblical history. He retold the story of, of how God established his covenant with Israel through Abraham and how they were enslaved by the Egyptians, things that they already knew, but he was just reminding them. Uh, how God raised up Moses to deliver them from slavery, how God gave them his law on Mount Sinai, how they rejected Moses by building a golden idol, a golden calf to worship, how they wandered in the desert for 40 years, how they built the tabernacle and later, later built the temple uh, as places to worship God. And then Stephen concludes his sermon with these verse, words in, in verse 51 through 53. He says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Mm. 
Man, that stung. And as you can imagine, the Jewish leaders did not appreciate his words. They did not appreciate being lectured by this, this angel-faced troublemaker. They certainly didn't appreciate being called stiff-necked. I mean, who would? And uncircumcised. They were too circumcised. <laughs> Hearts and ears uncircumcised. I mean, what does that even mean? And you're saying, we murdered the righteous one? We haven't been obeying the law? Man, were they insulted. They were trying to shake up Stephen, but boy, did they get shaken up by Stephen. And listen to their reaction in verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. Man! I guess gnashing your teeth is like, we've probably all done that before with our kids uh, back in the day, right? Or maybe even now, right? Right? Um, Just gritting your teeth. (laughs) And what was Stephen's reaction to their gnashing? But Stephen, full of the Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen looked up and God gave him a wonderful blessing, a wonderful vision. He allowed Stephen to see the glory of God and to see Jesus standing beside God. What a wonderful thing it was for him to see. And then Stephen told the Jewish leaders what he saw. Boy, Ah, that was, that, was, that was pretty hard for them to take. Um, that was the last straw for these guys. Uh, you know, it's one thing to be a false teacher, which was not even true. But it's another thing to claim you can look up and see God and see this Jesus guy standing right beside him. I mean, that was it. That was all they could take. Verse 57 and 58. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Now imagine that scene. Grown men, grown men, covering up their ears and yelling so they couldn't hear. La, 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 la. You know, like your kids do sometime, or maybe you do to your kids. <laughs> and then they did whatever they had to do to permanently silence Stephen, they drug him out of the city and began to stone him. And, and remember, stoning is not the little rocks in your driveway. <laughs> you know, that would be annoying. Um, but it was huge rocks, like football-sized rocks or bigger. Rocks that were large enough to crush bones and, and crush skulls and kill you. In verse 58, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, this man Saul was the Apostle Paul before he became a Christian. He was known as Saul then, before he discovered that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was who everybody said he was. Saul was a devout Jew and also wanted to stop this Jesus movement in its tracks. So he was sort of the muscle man for these Jewish leaders. He traveled around and he arrested Christians and and threw them in prison and put some of them to death 
And Stephen was his first. Stephen was his first. And here's the conclusion to the story of the first martyr. Verse 59 and 60. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against, against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Man, what a brave man Stephen was. What a noble and forgiving man, too. I mean, like Jesus, he asked God not to hold this sin against these people who were doing this. And for the first time when I read this this week, I wondered um, if Saul, Paul, heard him say that. Forgive, forgive them, Lord. And if he heard them, heard him say that, how often did he think about that later after he had become a Christian? Um, about how Stephen, who he supervised his death, Stephen asked for God to forgive him. And how God absolutely did forgive Saul, Paul, all of his sins, including this one. Now, the story of the first martyr is a compelling one. Uh, it started an escalation of persecution among the Christians there in Jerusalem. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. You know, persecution has continued against those who believe and serve Jesus ever since that day. Even modern day stories of people losing their lives because of, of, of Jesus. You know, again, the 21 in Libya. What a, what a tragic story that was. Um, you know, and, and we look at those stories and we think, wow, how tragic that was for Stephen and how tragic it was for those 21 and and the, the 50 that died in Nigeria recently. Um, and then we might think, but, but thankfully we don't have to worry about that here in America. And I guess it's true. I guess it's true. We probably don't have to worry here in America right now about the government breaking down our doors and dragging us all out to jail. That's not going to happen here, at least not now. Not right now. Opposition to Christians... And Christ, though, is growing in our country. Uh, you know, we're no longer the home team anymore. You know, we, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, we were the home team. When, we, when Christians walked out into the community, people cheered, yay, Christians, because they all agreed that we should be like Christ and follow his word. And, and, and so Christianity and Christians were cheered by most of society, just like at a home football game where most of the crowd is, is cheering the team. But more and more these days, we're, we're not the home team anymore. We're the visiting team. And when we walk out, you know, most of the crowd is the visiting team crowd, and they're booing us. And, and maybe they're throwing tomatoes at us or Molotov cocktails at, at, at pregnancy crisis centers. Has been, has been happening the last several weeks or, 
or vulgar and threatening graffiti is painted on the walls. Uh, more and more, we're the visiting team and we're, we're being booed uh, by the crowds. But, thankfully, no one's rounding us up right now. No one's executing us yet here in America. Could that happen in America? Uh, as individuals in America, <clears throat> remember a nation is a, a nation of individuals. Nations don't have hearts and souls, but the people do. Um, as individuals in America, if we, as individuals, keep going the direction that we're going in this country, farther and farther and farther away from God, there's only one place that that can lead. <laughs> there's only one place that that can lead. Because people that ignore and hate God will turn against people that serve God. It always happens and always will. It happened with Stephen. And it could happen here too. But as of today, on June the 26th, <laughs> you and I don't have to worry about stormtroopers carrying us off to jail today because we're Christians. You know, I've often wondered, what would I do if I ever faced the choice Denounce Jesus or die, Mark. Denounce Jesus or die. Would I be brave like Stephen uh, and Peter and Bonhoeffer and the, 20, the 21 in Libya? Um, with the strength of God's Spirit, I know I could be, and I hope I would be. And standing here today before you, I believe that I would give up my life for Jesus. We're not going to be asked to give up our lives for Jesus, to be punished with death for our faith. But are we sometimes challenged to be martyrs in other ways? One part of the def definition of martyr was a person who sacrifices something of great value for principle, in this case for Christ. Are we ever asked or faced with the need to give up something of value for Jesus today? here in America. Maybe not our physical life, but other things like our time, our money, our stuff, our family, a pleasure that we might enjoy. Not, not a sinful pleasure, but, but something that stands in the way of us serving Christ. You know, I often think of the Hostetter family uh, that we support and pray for often here at Stony Brook. Um, and all that they've given up to serve God in Ghana and India and Cameroon and France. Uh, family, they've given up time with family. You know, you and I, maybe we live five minutes or a couple of hours from our grandchildren, and we can be there and spend time, and we do it often. And, uh, we certainly have the ability to do that almost any time we want to. Uh, they've not had that privilege many times. They live continents away. Um, the Jeff and Sherry's parents wouldn't see their grandchildren for three, four years at a time. And they basically grew up away from them. Uh, or the conveniences of life. One of the things that, that I missed when I was over in Ghana was hot water <laughs> for a shower. It's like, got to get in there quick, get out. Because um, it's cold or air conditioning or good roads and good healthy food and good medical services. Uh, boy, they've given up so much to serve God. Yet I, I know that they would all say that God has more than re replaced 
uh, what they've sacrificed with blessings that they cannot even measure. I've, I've heard them often say about the family thing. You know, yeah, we, we miss our family and seeing them regularly, but we'll see each other in heaven. We'll see each other in heaven. And then that'll be forever. That'll be forever. You know, serving God every day requires sacrifice. It requires giving up things that have value. Giving up things that have value. Now, maybe we, we won't be asked at work to give up Jesus or give up our life. That's, that's not going to happen. But you know what? We might be asked to give up Jesus or give up our job. That is happening right now, today, uh, across America. Today, people are being fired because they will not bow to the latest social and moral rearrangements in our culture. You know, if you believe and say, say it out loud, that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that God made man and God made woman, and that's it, there are no other genders, uh, you know, people who say that and take that stand have lost their job or, or been kicked off social media or uh, because they refuse to bow and denounce God's truth. You know, if, if we keep going the direction that we're going, you know, that's going to happen more and more and more. Are we ready to stand for truth? Even if it means we lose our job, or we lose a friend, or we get caught a bigot, are we ready to stand for truth? Maybe giving up something of value doesn't even involve getting fired or banned uh, or shamed. You know, maybe giving up something of value is just between you and God. It's just between in your relationship with Him. You know, God wants us to put Him first to put his kingdom first, to put his righteousness first in our life. Matthew 6, Jesus said. And there's only one way we can do that successfully. The only way that we can put God first in our life is to put everything else in our life at least second <laughs> or third or fifth or maybe some, sometimes eliminate them from our lives if, if they're interfering with our relationship with Christ. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to give a portion of our income back to God? Right off the top, right off the top, before we paid the first bill, before, before we ordered the first thing off of Amazon, give a portion of our income to God. That's what God wants us to do if we're going to put him first in our life. Are we willing to give up our time for God, time to worship with our church family, to bring our family to worship, uh, to learn about him more and become lifetime students of God's word, uh, to serve him in ministry, to, to serve him by meeting the needs of a neighbor or a friend or somebody in our community, to share our faith with people in our lives. What might be keeping us from doing that? From giving of our time and our money for God. Is it fear? You know, I, I, I'm afraid if I give part of my income to God, I won't have enough to pay my bills. Uh, it, uh, you know, if I, if I put God first, then that's less time for me. Is it selfishness? Is it peer pressure? I don't want my friends and my coworkers to think I'm weird 
one of those religious people, is it complacency? I, I really just don't care. What might be keeping us from, from putting God first in our life and giving up things of value for Him? Stephen gave up his life because of his, his faith. He stood up against the Jewish leaders uh, who wanted him to just shut up about this Jesus guy. How strong is your faith and my faith? Is it strong enough to stand up against yourself, your flesh? Your flesh that just wants to be selfish. You know, I think it would, it would be harder to do that than to stand up to someone who's threatening our life. Uh, you know, because when somebody comes up to you with a gun to your head and says, denounce Jesus or die, I mean, right at that moment, you're right at the edge of eternity. <laughs> you know, and when you're at the edge of eternity, you don't want to be on the wrong side of God. And so you're really thinking hard about that. And, and even if you did denounce Jesus, what if they shoot you anyway? And then what? So when you're facing death, like Stephen was and other martyrs, you know, I think when, when that moment comes, it's like there's no atheists in foxholes, right? Um, you know, we're probably going to be more likely to say, hey, I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. Even though death awaits us. But when we're facing our flesh, just in an everyday life situation, you know, we're not thinking about eternity, usually, are we? Uh, we're thinking about facing the fact that Man, if I give 10% of my income to God, that means that's 10% less for me. <laughs> uh, if I put God first with my time, that's less time for me and my things. You know, there's only one way to stand up against our flesh and say, no, flesh, flesh, I'm serving God, not you. Not you. And that's what the power of the Holy Spirit Remember, Stephen was full of the Spirit, it was said. And so are you. So are you, if you're a Christian this morning. Um, so am I. If, if we've been baptized into Christ, we have the forgiveness of our sins. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, the very exact same Spirit that Stephen was full of. Next time we face our flesh, which will be probably later today, you know, right after church today. Next time we face our flesh, who wants to be selfish, guaranteed, let's listen to God's Spirit inside of us, uh, who's saying, Mark, remember, remember eternity, remember your relationship with Christ, and let's look up to heaven like Stephen and see, maybe we won't see what Stephen saw, but we can look up to heaven and we can remember we can remember what Jesus did to set us free from our sin. And like Stephen, let's say to our flesh, sorry flesh, I'm sorry. I cannot serve you. I have committed my life to Jesus. So no, no flesh. Now our flesh might put its hands over its ears and go, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear that. But you know what? It'll get over it. <laughs> It'll get over it. 
And the more we do it, the more we say no to our flesh, the easier it'll be. Father, I thank you so much for uh, the chance we have to serve you, um, to, uh, to know you, to be a part of your kingdom, to have the Holy Spirit living in us, to have the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, you have, uh, you have given us, you have given us such a blessing, the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life, the hope of being with you forever. Um, Lord, you require faithfulness from us. Uh, you require us to be like Stephen. And faith is, is not just words that we say. It's, it's action. It's demonstrated, as James said, that, you know, it's demonstrated by what we do. And so, Lord, help us to, to, uh, to make our faith alive by willingly saying no to our flesh. Say no to temptations, to, uh, to, to not proclaim your truth. Uh, saying no to fear and to selfishness and, uh, and pride and peer pressure. Saying no to these earthly pressures that are on us and saying yes to you, Lord. Uh, no matter what I face, I'm putting you first in my life. Uh, so, Lord, give us the courage of Stephen as we walk with you in our life. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.